Hi everyone, I'm Kadambri Sahu. I'm the head of design at Valulad. Design Inspire is a web series of passionate, innovative and young inspiring designers. The web series dive into their passion, inspiration and what makes them go. It's an effort to understand how they are navigating their career path and how they are investing their creative energies. We believe hearing their bold moves and inspiring stories will ignite interest and inspire the next generation of budding designers across the globe. So let's go forward with our guest today. Our today's guest is Dharmesh Pa. Dharmesh leads the research and strategy initiatives at D91 Labs, a user research lab that documents the financial journeys of people in India. Dharmesh has also been an active contributor of design and public infrastructure projects through iSpirit and also volunteers to organize Design Up Conference and IXDA Bangalore meetups. So welcome Dharmesh Pa. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. I'm quite excited to share the presentation as a talk. Oh, wow. We're excited to, uh, to uh, you know, move uh, and uh, see how you share your stories, thoughts and journeys. Thank you. Thanks, Kadambari. Uh, I'm just going to share my screen. Uh, hey, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Dharmesh. Today, I'm just going to talk about how, what is special about designing financial products, especially for the larger part of the country. Uh, we call like the top 100 million users in India as India. And the last mile India is what we quote unquote call as Bharat. Uh, I'm going to talk about what does it mean to design financial products for Bharat and what are the kind of work that I currently do and what is it important. I'm also at the last part of the talk is going to be about how do we take the work to the appropriate people so that we could create impact at scale. So this at the end of this presentation, I'm just going to leave you guys with a thought saying that what kind of impact can a simple exercise like a design research could do one to the ecosystem and through the ecosystem what it could do to the country. Let me start with the most simple thing saying that, you know, most of us would have received a phone call asking you for a loan, credit card, etc. Right. Have you ever thought that, you know, is calling a random person and telling them would require asking them if you want to take a credit card or loan, is it the most effective way to actually sell a product? A loan or a credit card is like a product for a bank. Imagine Amazon people do not call you asking, saying that, hey, do you want to buy this product, right? That's not the most effective way to actually sell a product. But irrespective of that, we still keep getting phone calls to see, to ask you if you want to take a loan or a credit card. Let's go, let's take a step back and understand why are we getting these phone calls? In fact, let me also ask another question. Who is actually getting these phone calls? So this is the total population of India. Like, you know, we are around 100, roughly 135 crores people. Almost 77.7 crore people have uh, bank accounts. Like this is almost around 80% of the Indian adults have bank accounts. And even half of it was opened only in the last few years after 2014, when the Pradhan Mantri Jandan Yojana came into picture where every bank was forced to open a bank account using other. And out of that, these are the number of people who actually file income taxes, right? So which is roughly less than 5% of the people in India is whom we file income taxes. And these are the people who actually get phone calls. We might, it, it could be quite surprising because, you know, everybody whom we know would get these phone calls, but you also know that, you know, we, we meet only few people. We meet people like us in our life and 
only we are the kind of people who get these phone calls. Now, why are we getting phone calls? The, the most interesting part about people who file income taxes is the aspect that most of them are salaried employees, right? So what does salaried employees mean? For a bank, a salaried employee means they have predictable income. If this month I'm getting 50,000, next month also I'm sure that you'll be getting 50,000 and hence so on. So what does predictable salary mean? It means I able to assess you better as a credit worthy person, right? So which essentially means stable income is a pointer for a bank to say, if I give a loan to this individual, they will be able to repay me back because they have a steady income. I have a vision into what their future is going to look like, correct? That's why if you look at most of the financial products that we use in the country, always have a sense of periodicity associated with them. If you take loans, it's called EMI. If you take mutual funds, it's called SAP, which is systematic investment planning. Every month they ask you to invest something. If you look at insurance, it, you see insurance premium being paid yearly or quarterly, right? This all looks good, but what is the problem? If you look at it, the rest of the 95% of the country do not have stable income. They are either small business owners, they are farmers, they are probably who are laborers, daily wage workers, or uh, they are people who do a part of gig economy. Let's take even gig economy. Like, you know, they do not have stable income or they have an income which might not be, uh, or they have a job which might not be as stable. Like they could be doing a contract worker, right? Now, what happens with this is essentially since a financial institutions do not have visibility into their particular income levels in future, the products are mostly not targeted for them, which leaves with all the banks trying to find customers only within the smallest pool of income tax filers who are salaried income, right? Now, what is the resultant of it? The resultant of this is, is this because your cost of acquiring a customer becomes extremely high. Right. That is why they use this innovative method of actually randomly calling people and asking if you want a loan. Right. When you establish such a method to actually acquire customer, your cost of acquisition actually goes high. Now, imagine if I have, uh, if I spend almost thousand rupees to acquire a customer, the minimum loan size that I could probably give will be only one lakh. If I have to keep my total cost of acquisition is less than one person. Right. So, which means I have to spend 1000 rupees to acquire a customer. So the minimum uh, loan that I could give them is one lakh. But the problem is most of India probably wants a loan, which is very small ticket size, 5000 rupee loan, which I wanted for three months or a, or a 500 rupee loan, which I wanted for a week, right? Since then this way on how the loan products are structured, most of the people are even eliminated. They don't even like qualify for that particular loan product. That's the plot product design aspect of it. The second problem is a broken distribution network. Are the, how do we form trust with the financial institutions generally? We look at the ATMs, we look at the branches, we say that, you know, my branch manager works there is someone I know. There is always the sense of referral. There is always a sense of physical establishment which gains trust, right? So these are all expensive methods to generate trust, right? So I, the banks are not willing to probably invest, uh, like have as much as facilities as a tier one city in a tier three city, because they know even if I establish a bank branch, I will not be able to get as much as deposit I would get it in Mumbai or Hyderabad or Bangalore, right? So they don't even invest that infrastructure anymore there. So these are the two challenges for India 
like I can I can take one step forward and say that you know one of the reasons why the financial inclusion does not happen is because of these two right but that's not all a bad picture but we also have something good that has been happening in the last few years one as uh, in the recent past almost 91 percentage of the people have gotten a unique identifier which is other and there's also happening a, a accelerated pace of mobile and internet penetration in India, thanks to Geo, right? So these are the two leading parameters and we have a lagging parameter, essentially, uh, the credit penetration in India is low, the insurance penetration in India is low, the mutual fund penetration in India is low, right? So essentially, finance needs to have a catch up with technology is the whole point. How do we do it? Well, that's where FinTech kind of comes into help, where you say that, you know, hey, you know what, with fintech with technology i will be able to reduce this distribution cost so if i did reduce the distribution cost to let's say from 1000 rupees to 10 rupees then i could easily give you a 1000 rupee loan that's the whole hypothesis right now with that the problem statement that my research lab is currently dealing with is how might we design customized financial products when you say customized financial product is if a person does not have money to pay this month's EMI, he should be able to defer the payment for a couple of months. He should not be penalized for it. Without penalizing, how do I bring him inclusive into the system? Because I know for a fact he does not have a regular income. Second, can I give him a short-term loan as opposed to forcing him to take a long-term loan and a large ticket size loan, which actually is the requirement for him? So the second thing is actually the better distribution network. There's a better distribution network, what I'm talking about is if I have to generate trust to purely digital means, the way in which I'm going to design that financial application needs to be a uh, little different than how I'm going to design for, uh, let's say, e-commerce, right? I'll give you a simple example. This is my first favorite example. In e-commerce, you are uh, optimizing for the number of clicks, right? So if you're saying that, you know, from purchase to checkout, if it takes 10 clicks, you're continuously optimizing, saying, how can I do it in five clicks? How can I do it in three clicks? How can I do it in two clicks? But that doesn't work in financial services. In case if you're trying to help someone get a loan in two clicks as opposed to 10 clicks, then you're indirectly somehow creating a dark pattern. You have to hide information which you might not be explicitly telling them. You might be helping them enroll into a product which for which they might not know the consequences of, right? So that is the kind of trust network where you'll have to see the completely user experience in a completely different manner when it essentially, especially comes to financial services. How do we design that better? We still are not there yet. And these are the two challenges which D91 Labs deals with. So when we started this lab, we said that, you know, hey, you know what, these are the problems that exist. Either we could actually build it on our own or we could take this research and, and actually impact other creators in the ecosystem. So we identify these pockets, pockets of influencers, which could be people like uh, PhonePay, Google Pay, Razorpay, or it could be Kata Book or OK Credit, who have been doing really well in a certain financial product. We involve them, we share our research to them, and we tell them, you know what, this research can probably help you design your financial products in a little different way. What is the advantage for us? One, this lab is situated within this fintech company called Setu. What Setu does is Setu is essentially an API platform which builds APIs that connects banks and fintechs uh, and startups, right? So they act like the technology wing and D91 acts as a design wing where one, one at one place you should be able to get the APIs and with D91 Labs, you should be able to get the good design principles of how to build uh, better financial products, better fintech products for India. This is our objective. 
How do I accelerate financial to accelerate financial inclusion by empowering fintech ecosystem with best design practices? Now, here if I have to deconstruct best design practices, I could call it one set as the design principles of what does good design principles for building a loan, mutual fund, insurance is like. And the second thing is actually building uh, ready-to-use assets. Think of it like material design, but for fintech in India. That's the, that's the larger goal or the objective that we have uh, for D91 Labs. Now to do that, uh, we said, what is the lens in which we are going to look at, right? So these are the, this is traditionally the banking journey of any individual. You essentially go and start a bank account, then you start using the payment instrument. The payment instruments, it could be UPI, debit card, credit card, or net banking, etc. Then you start moving towards investments, which would be your savings, mutual fund, gold, etc. Then you move them to credit, right? It could be your consumer durable loans, which is the EMI loans that you see in Amazon, or uh, personal loan, home loan, vehicle loan, so that. And finally, you kind of try and take insurance where you secure the future for anything that is unpredictable that could happen. Like this could be your health insurance, vehicle insurance, life term, etc. Now we see a person is completely financially aware and also into the into the complete ecosystem of finance when they have access to all these products. It is not just about access, but also have choices, right? So two lens: one, do people have access, and do people have choices, right? So if a person has access and if we have choices, then congratulations, you are in the elite person, you are in the top elite people of India, right? Which most people don't have. Uh, they might not have access, even if they have access, they might have uh, comes with some sort of consequences. Like say, for example, unsecured lending, you could go to a money lender, borrow the money, but you might have to end up paying like exorbitant interest rate. Like people would, so that's called a payday loan. A payday loan is nothing but a money lender goes to a market Monday, figures out a cart vendor, gives 100 rupees in the morning. When he comes back in the evening, he collects 105. So that five rupees might sound like a very simple thing, but it's almost 5% interest rate. And imagine the 5% interest rate over a year, your head is going to blast, right? To put that in perspective, if you or me go walk into a HDFC bank, ask for a personal loan, we both will be eligible for a personal loan at 11% or 13% interest rate, depending upon how good a credit score is, right? But all those people end up minimum paying at least anywhere between 30% or 40% interest rate, which is, uh, which is not sustainable, right? Second, so what, what we did was, okay, now I want to understand the financial journeys of people, but the cash flow of how people earn and how people spend is different for the different sectors. Uh, we have still not yet cracked the, the universal code of how do I divide India, but for now, we have divided them into four different sections just based on their cash flow uh, and their money management. The first uh, series, what we do is called Kirana Chronicles, which is essentially looking at financial journeys of MSMEs. So MSMEs could be retailers, uh, B2B businesses, manufacturers, traders, etc. Now, uh, their journey is completely different from millennial banking. Millennial banking are essentially people like us, uh, where who have who are relatively younger, uh, I would say like less than 35 years old, who have high disposable income, uh, which essentially when I say high disposable income means uh, out of their entire salary, they would be comfortably be able to leave their life with minimum basics by spending just 20 or 25 percentage of the salary. Like that's what I mean by high disposable salary. Uh, and the third series that we do is rural journeys. So with the rural journeys, we try and cover a lot of tier three cities. In the tier three cities, we try and see a lot of self-help groups. Uh, how does social aspects come into terms of credits and savings? And what are the government initiatives that happen there? And uh, 
we try and understand what does banking correspondent mean. A banking correspondent is nothing but an individual who does the banking operations on behalf of you because there is a lack of physical bank branches there. So there is a representative who does uh, banking operations in behalf of you. But banking operations here would include transferring of money, withdrawing of money, uh, paying electricity bills, uh, etc. Imagine like a Google Pay uh, being done by another person, right? And the last one is blue collar workers. With blue collar workers, we try and cover people who are gig economy workers and also people who are contract workers or people who work, uh, who are, uh, I would say, laborers who are not knowledge workers. So we cover them there. So what do we cover there is essentially we do in-depth qualitative research. The qualitative research covers the main financial journey, which is divided into spend. Spend talks about income and expense, save, talks about what do they do with the excess of money, uh, borrow, which is essentially during the emergency, where do they borrow, how do they borrow, at what interest rate do they borrow, and fourth is plan uh, for unplanned uh, emergencies, how, are they, how do they tackle, do they have insurance, do they have retirement plans, etc. Now, out of all of this, beyond this, we also try and understand what are their goals and aspirations. We have figured out that uh, finance is always associated with their goals and aspirations in life. We try and understand that. In most of these aspects, we are not very much interested in understanding what is their exact income or what or how much do they invest every month. But we are more interested in what are the nudges, what are the uh, motivations for someone to do something. Uh, why did you choose HDFC and not ICICI? Or why did you choose uh, this loan versus uh, uh, if you have to take a home loan, how did you go about it, right? How did you choose the period in which you're going to repay? You could be doing it for 15 years. You could be doing it for 20 years. You could be doing it for 25 years. I would love to understand how do they make the how did they make the choice, right? What does 15 years mean to them? 20 years mean to them? 25 years mean to them? If you're doing savings, uh, I would love to understand uh, does your savings have a goal associated with it, right? Uh, are you saving for your kids' marriage? Are you saving for your uh, some your, for your children's education? Right. If you if you have to have goal associated with it, how are you choosing how much to save? Uh, what does retirement money mean to them? So all of these questions is what we cover, and we convert them into long format stories. Right. Um, in the long format stories, I can quickly show you one of it. Yeah. So in the long format stories, what we do is we completely fictionalize the story, which essentially means we uh, mask any identifiable information and uh, we put them in the form of a story where we have this beautiful visualizations of the snapshots, bank accounts, which is essentially, and you have the researcher's perspective of what they think about it. And we have anecdotes from the story, uh, which covers all the four sections that I spoke about. Um, I'm going to share this links to you guys. Maybe you guys can have a look at it. Uh, then going back and we figured out that, you know, long format stories are just one way of how we look at uh, these research. Then we also experimented with other formats. Uh, we also send newsletters once in a month, which essentially somebody could uh, subscribe and directly lands into their inbox. Uh, we were recently covered by Forbes as one of the newsletters that must be read in the FinTech domain. Um, then we also started saying that, you know, okay, we are a social media generation. We might not have high attention span. And we said that, you know, within 10 slides, can I tell the story of an individual, which is like a snapshot. We don't expect people to get everything from it, but we said that, you know, if somebody reads it, they should be intrigued enough, go and read the full story. Uh, so this is something that we publish. We take the same story, scale it down to say that in you know, 10 slides, can I tell a story? That's one format in which we do the research. Then we take the research also to the industry. 
uh, and the policy makers by doing round tables. So these are uh, very close group invite only round tables that are done. So in this round table, you are talking about MSME lending. You have folks from Katabook, OK Credit, and Razorpay talking to us, and we have Saranya who is also a policy expert. We try and say that you know, hey, this is the research, these are the insights. Uh, are we are aligned to our mission, right? So quickly going the next one, we try and do design jams. So design jams in the pre-COVID world, we used to have physical design jams that we used to do design hackathons. Uh, this is a design hackathon that happened last year. It's, it's almost a year. Last year, September, October is when we uh, did this jam. So these are the people who participated from there and we take the research, convert them into personas and we give them say that, you know, hey, here's a persona, here's a problem statement in FinTech, can you solve for it? Right? And we bring in people from the different design, uh, different organization, we put them into teams and we see if there is a magic that can happen that people can think a little differently than how they've been traditionally been thinking. So we document all of the prototypes that come out of the design jam and we also put it out in the public for people to consider. So these are the kind of people we've been very lucky enough to collaborate with. Um, so which is essentially with these folks, we have done some other other projects in the past or we are in the term, you know, we are in the talks of doing a project currently. And these are some of the few of the collaborations, I would say, like, you know, these are the people who, whom we call our well-wishers. They really love our research and they are always in touch with us. We kind of also get the sense of what does industry look like and what does industry want from uh, understanding the users is something that we constantly have an engagement. Uh, and, and, and we would say, we call them the friends of D91, right? You know, so there are more and more people who are joining this club. Yeah, so that's like the short introduction of what we do. You guys can reach out to us through email. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, we also have, an, we recently started the Instagram thing. So you can follow us on Instagram too. So that, that's the presentation about. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dharmesh. That was really very educational. And now we'll move on to the second part where we are interested in learning about your design journey, what inspires you and, you know, how you're keeping up uh, with things around. Um, so let me start with like the first question that I asked most of the, uh, you know, uh, guests. That, uh, when and how did you think of becoming a designer and how did it start for you? I would say I'm a very accidental designer. Mm -hmm. uh, because I've known tools like Photoshop and everything. Uh, I come from a very small town, like like uh, it's Erod in Tamil Nadu. So mm -hmm. I come from a very small town. I learned Photoshop, but mm -hmm. it was just to play around, edit your pictures, edit your friends' pictures, mm -hmm. Taj Mahal behind and stuff like that. So all I knew at that point in time is, yeah, I know this tool, I can play around with it. Probably the maximum I could become is this photo editor in this all the photo studios. This is honestly what I thought I could become. But you ended up in the undergrad college and I was doing a lot of these posters. I was doing a, a lot of these events, which I think is the journey of every engineering student who knows Photoshop. <laughs> uh, that's where I accidentally discovered this friend who was a senior, which is Suresh. Right? Mm -hmm. Suresh was my uh, senior uh, and uh, he also someone whom I started looking up to and because he also knew this tool and he was uh, much more refined in his thoughts. Uh, we used to do all this, like, like, like we used, we used to have this Gyan Adda, we used to sit and talk for us. He also had no idea about uh, uh, NID, but you know, another friend who kind of uh, took him to accidentally to an NID exam and he actually got through and he said he's going to go to it. And we kept in touch and he kept telling about what is new media design and what does NID look like? And he's the one who planted the seed of saying that, you know, hey, you know what? You are good at something, you should pursue it. 
I've been posting it, so it's it's it was it was very that's why I say it's accidental. Right? If I never met him in that college, um, honestly, I hated my UG. Like, if there's one thing that happened that good out of him is is meeting him. Yeah. Uh, yeah so I pretty much followed his path for quite some time. So yeah, I mean, I, I would say I would say I'm lucky there. Uh, so yeah, then I knew about NID, then I applied and, and I got through it. You started your journey with a new media design, right? Uh, and then how did you settle for field of research then? So research, uh, I was completely blown by uh, the ethnography course that we had in our college. Uh, I thought this is a pretty interesting way to understand people. Like it's just understanding strangers as all, observing strangers has always been like, you know, like if you allow me in an airport, I could just sit and observe people, the chaos and all of it. I love chaos and I just like observing people from, from a distance. And, and Anand, who was our professor, taught us to do it in a much more systematic way, like with active engagement rather than passively observing someone. Right? Uh, I always had this inquiry saying that, you know, hey, this is such a powerful tool to understand people. Why isn't it being used in industry? Right? So whenever I spoke to, and, and I was completely drawn to the world of startups, I, even though I had a lot of opportunities of going into bigger companies, but I chose startups because I thought I could pick up the role I want. I could hustle around yeah, and I don't have to be, uh, so I did my uh, graduation project with Adobe. Uh, I met some amazing people, but it's just that just confined to one product, one role, uh, like doing the very structured work is not something that that I thought was very exciting. Like I wanted to try out multiple different stuff. So startups, I thought was a good place to, you know, uh, be there and hustle around. Uh, there, I was actually being, I was able to relate with founders more than like the designers, at least at that point in time I was meeting. Because with the founders, I thought the, the insight that they get and the conviction that they get to actually start a company comes from doing such research, yeah. right? Yeah, it's either a problem that they already faced themselves or they would have observed a problem very closer uh, and they would have spoken to them, understand their worldview and they would have done it better, right? So I thought, you know, okay, so, but what happens somewhere when the company grows, that, that spirit dies down, right? Then it, then it becomes about tracking numbers, going behind metrics and all of it. I knew that there is a huge opportunity to mimic the founder's enthusiasm inside a company Mm -hmm. uh, by establishing a research team, right? I always had it at the back of mind, but it took me five years to uh, make someone agree to saying that, you know, to find that synergy with someone to say that, you know, oh, let's do it. So, but, but, but what changed was that, you know, I never gave up. Like I see a lot of my other friends who had given up saying that, you know, this is not going to happen. Let me just keep doing uh, like a product design, UI, UX and stuff like that. But but I always tried introducing some of the research methods in some form or the other in all the places that I've worked with. In fact, in the, the, the current role that I'm doing came out of an experiment that I did in a previous company, which I, which I was casually talking to someone and said that, you know, you know what, I think I can do like an, another bigger experiment with you. And that's how this lab started. Right. So that, that's how I moved to research, uh, like now being a full time research. And then how did you choose FinTech for it? No, fintech is, is something like uh, I, I, I think I started as a curiosity, but I think now it's a very strategic thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I, it's, I'm going to tell why it is strategic. I hope that, you know, people take that and more people come. Right? <laughs> uh, one is because I was very scared of finance. I was very scared of not being able to uh, manage my own finances. I did again like a small experiment around 
like I I say that oh you know what I'm gonna just gonna track my expenses right you know I used to, I there was like a entire period of three months where I would keep scanning every bill on Evernote and I would keep having a note of it I would keep like uh, I, I would try find out what is the right amount of money that I'm spending per month and it's really challenging for me to do it right. And I also figured out that you know a lot of my friends nobody does it does it like a lot of the designers don't do it at least at that point in time right you know because numbers are something that scares us right and it's it's not it, it might sound cliche but you know we kind of try to stay away from this this entire number game uh, I said you know oh, this is something that fears me and I want to get into it right I, I want to overcome this fear is how I started breaking down in managing my own finances. Is when there are other friends who help me saying that you know you know what there's a larger problem to it, right? right. And that's how I slowly moved from okay managing let's figure out my finance to India's finance was that journey, right? And 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 today also I'm very openly saying like you know many people would dismiss fintech because it's not it's it's quite challenging to like so for example uh, I understand let's say. Uh, a high. If I'm somebody who's building like a hyper-local application, right? You know, it could be Ola, Uber, or uh, uh, could be any other like Urban Clapper. You largely have similar mental models. Of course, there are challenges in depth to that also. But largely, I could take a similar mental model and apply that. But fintech, what happens? Like I was telling before, one, uh, let's say if you're if you're designing for an e-commerce, you traditionally know how you're purchasing in a supermarket or a grocery store. All you have to do is take that mental model and try and convert it into a digital format. So you know what the checkout means, you know what the browsing means, and all of it. Now, when it comes to fintech, this person might not have seen mutual funds in his real life, right? You might have to first educate them about mutual funds and then help them adopt that mutual funds completely in a digital platform without a user like like an agent being into a picture. Now you will be able to do that only if you understand mutual funds yourself. Right? You understand what does large cap funds mean. You understand what does uh, expense ratio mean, what does uh, fund houses mean and all of it, right? So there's a huge learning curve to it. So I've been very selfish to say that, you know, hey, you know what, if I surpass this learning curve, I'm going to create that there is going to be a huge barrier for other people to come there, right? So I, again, I'm telling this openly because I want more people to come. <laughs> it's going to be challenging. So, so then I figured out that, you know, okay, I'm going to figure out this niche for myself where I say that, you know, I want to set a niche where uh, where a lot of people believe that you know design is very horizontal. Like I can take this uh, ex expertise and I can put it into any vertical that I want. Like today I could work for healthcare, I could work for food tech, fintech, etc. Right? But I I kind of believe in knowledge compounding. Right? So I keep compounding my knowledge in a certain field so that I reach to a point where I should be the only person whom you should reach out to at some point in time. Right? Because you, I want to build that niche and, and this is just a journey into building that niche. So um, we did discuss a lot of challenges uh, that are there uh, in, you know, for the FinTech in India, but what would be the two, uh, you know, top challenges uh, for FinTech if you're building any product, FinTech product in India? One is financial awareness, definitely, mm -hmm. right? So, um, so we all, so this is, this is funny, right? You know, you go through an education because you want to earn money. But nobody tells you how to manage your money uh, starting like like why can't kids learn about compound interest right you talk about it in a small aspect in mathematics but with, with real life examples we don't still learn about compound interest we don't learn about how to save how to what does insurance mean we don't learn about it right uh, so the financial awareness is extremely important right and the second is uh, is the the ability to use technology to its fullest right 
So today, everybody talks about saying that, you know, we have 450 million uh, smartphone users, internet users in India. But the problem is most of them are either consuming content or are, 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 are very passively active, or they're not completely active on internet. So what I mean is even when people say that they're using WhatsApp, so I try and ask them, are you somebody who's reading WhatsApp? Or are you somebody who's forwarding WhatsApp? Or are you someone who's actually actively creating messages on WhatsApp? So that's the three levels how we look at it. Even in the larger scale, so we have a we have a scale in which we look at it. There are people who might just consume information. They might use social media apps. They may use messaging apps. Then they may go to uh, a little more active way of using internet is actually purchasing something online. In fact, payment apps and banking apps come to the last level. Like they are the most complicated one to actually use because you know if I post something in social media, like in most of the cases, like uh, there's not nothing much to lose. Like if I am somebody not known much to people, I'm not talking about celebrities, but you know, if I'm like a common man, I don't have much to lose. Like, you know, I can directly the next day go and take down the post or something. But if I make a mistake in when I'm transferring money to someone, I lost my hard earned money. I have real life impact to it. Yeah. So just, so that ability to build um, applications in a, which, which gains trust of the user and yet gives the security feeling for them is the second challenge. Um, so, because of this new reality, which is COVID-19, many sectors have been impacted. Is there any impact on fintech? And if so, how you have evolved or, you know, uh, what are your uh, strategies to evolve out of it? Yeah, of course, every sector will have its uh, impact. Like, in fact, fintech, uh, uh, it's it's both, like, uh, I would say, it's a boom and it's also like a first. The boom for the fact that, you know, you see... Uh, now people adopting a lot more digital payments. Yeah, if, if uh, demonetization was the first nudge and I see COVID as the second huge nudge for people to adopt digital payments, right? Adopting digital payments is actually a good sign because that's the first step towards your digital journey. Then you start, so we start adopting savings, bill payments, yeah, yeah. all of it, right? Now that's one huge thing. The second thing, uh, it's it's a not a great thing because what is happening right now is banks are very, very scared to lend. Okay. So the RBA has actually reduced their repo rate, which is the rate at which they are lending to the banks, but the banks are uh, not very comfortable to lend to the, that's how the, it'll trickle down, right? You know, the banks only, they start giving out to the small businesses, the small businesses will improve their business, only people will come and buy. Now, since there is no visibility into the future, right? so the trickling down of the loans does not happen. People have money, but they don't, they're not willing to lend. Right? And that's a big problem. Only if that happens, like, and, and everybody is really genuinely hoping that, you know, this Diwali becomes like the change in the period where people kind of uh, consume more and people borrow more and produce more. And, and, and Diwali is, seems to be like one of the hope which will change the, which will change the current scenario for the lending sector, especially. Yeah, Diwali should do that, I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And uh, so there are a lot of things which happens with digital payments or, you know, just in digital in general, which is uh, sometimes, you know, there are cyber attacks, data breach, and now with uh, everything which is going around. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, problems, one with security and second, uh, also with trust, right? So how do you tackle such issues? No, so uh, let's, let's break it down, right? So one is where your data being uh, leaked, right? Mm -hmm. 
So we've been currently doing like this one project around data sharing, and we've been talking to more people. So this is the layers in which I, which people understand by privacy and data sharing, right? So the always the first instance comes to around how to how did someone get a phone number and getting so that I'm getting a call, yeah. right? They have theories around it. Either my bank leaked it, I leaked the information, or they had there is databases which is being sold. So that's the first what do you say mistrust happens there. The second mistrust happens where uh, your uh, where where the scams happen, right? You know, the scams is where either it could be first hand or second hand, right? You know, where people are talking about you know, oh, uh, I was being duped or my friend is being duped, right? And the third level is where the current mainstream conversation that happens around privacy of the Chinese apps and and uh, even when Arugya Setu came into picture, there was a lot of privacy concerns and stuff. That day, people are talking about it's no more a technology problem; it's a becomes a geopolitical problem, right? And and uh, uh, now imagine we have come to a situation why I'm using an app or not using an app, not because of the features, but because of the ideologies, yeah. right? So these are the like layers in which I look at it. Now, especially coming to the scam layer, the scam layer, it has to be both ways, right? No, one that is why I talked about financial awareness being extremely important. And second is where uh, even though it takes, we should not be optimizing for clicks, correct? So yeah. let's say for example, now recently Google Pay has implemented this aspect, saying that you know every time before you pay, there is a pop-up which comes which says that you know you are paying this individual, right? Are you okay with it? This comes specially when there is a UPA request that happens, right? Now, in the UPA request in the earlier days, like you know, the UPA payment of the UPA request screen, if you just looked at it, there was minimal difference, right? In all the most all the apps. Now people have consciously now put an effort to design them in a different way. Right? Now uh, slowly over a period of time, the financial awareness and all of this is, is where we we will we, we we can only handle the problem that way. Right? I don't have a one answer. But on the other hand, what I know, the downside of it is something that I know. Let's say uh, you you go to a shop, yeah. you buy a product, and you don't like the product. You're just gonna accuse that guy, or the, you go, you're gonna accuse the brand, right? Uh, but if you come to digital payments, and the first time you're trying to, uh, if you're encountering a scam, you might not come to digital payments ever again, yeah. right? So which means you're using a customer for digital payments for a lifetime. Yeah. It becomes very difficult to get their uh, confidence back. So that is something we'll have to keep in our mind uh, when we are taking product decisions. That's really something. Um, also, um, you've also you know uh, seen a lot of different mediums that you are using for you know disseminating uh, all of this awareness. Uh, and I also the uh, see this WhatsApp group, which is Tales of Bharat. What is that? So the Tales of Bharat uh, started. So we have been doing a lot of analysis of uh, this interview snippets. So earlier we had uh, we we were also publishing the transcripts of the interviews along with the stories. Um, but there was a lot of concerns around the one was, you know, we were not sure, like, you know, if it's an ethical, quote unquote, ethical way to do it. We didn't know if there's an ethical way to do it. And the second thing was that, you know, of course, the transcripts were too long and uh, we didn't know the impact of how many people are reading it. Right? Again, this was a new experiment which we started only like, uh, like it's been doing it for like almost a month, where we're saying that, you know, can I contextualize it, saying that, you know, Hey, you know what? Can you read only about the banking behavior? Can you read only about the payments behavior? Right? This is the person. It's almost like you know, morning I wake up, I want like a small dose of research. Right? You know, I want to understand someone. 
right? It's 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 serendipitous. It's it's not something that you seek for, but you know, it's it's a nice to know serendipitous sort of a, a discovery that happens. Uh, I'm hoping that you know, hoping in future, like you know, if I'm able to collect it do sustainably for almost a year, maybe I put up a big database outside that you could traverse through it and find insights that you want. Yeah, but but this is right now is just an experiment. A lot of my friends have been doing WhatsApp newsletters. I got very inspired from them. Uh, so I thought, you know, this could be like a WhatsApp newsletter sort of thing that you could read doses of research. So how can one uh, get it? <laughs> right now, we just started with one group uh, and, and it's almost full. Now I'm just waiting to see uh, uh, one. I should be having confidence, like you know, daily. I'm I'm, I'm like uh, regularly, yeah, regularly posting. Like, I don't want to start multiple groups and like keep 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 people hanging. So I I should get the confidence. Like let me start with few one group. But yeah, in future we definitely would like to open up more groups and then we will send out the invites. So what is your future vision for fintech, especially in India? Uh, the future vision for fintech, like I said, that you know, one, everybody should have access to all the kinds of financial products. Second, they should have choices in all the kinds of financial products. And uh, it's it's very heartwarming because some of the interviews where they talk about, they talk about their dreams. Let's say it could be they could be starting a, a, a Kirana store. They could be they could be wanting to buy a laptop. They could be wanting to buy a cattle and all of it. Uh, trust me, all of the money that they need in their life to jump to their next level. Could be, yeah, could be could be the excessive expense that we do on a monthly basis, right? It could be less than fifty thousand, twenty thousand, and stuff like that. And the stories they talk about saying how not knowing a language, not having a document, and not having a credit score, not having an asset, keeps them away from uh, financial, yeah, financial access, right? Uh, there should be some way for all of these people to get access to the financial, so that they are not trying to. Uh, get the money to buy a bigger refrigerator or a car, but they're trying to get something so that they could have a better life. Right? So if we are able to do that, and if, if D91 can play a small role in impacting organizations who do that, yeah, then 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 we are at we are at a good place, and that that would be a happy place to be, and that's my future uh, vision. For, yeah. You talked about financial inclusion in that sense, but uh, in broad sense, what do you mean by uh, financial? No financial inclusion by means by this like like how I talked about saying that you know if I have a requirement yeah. for a forty thousand rupee loan to buy a computer so that I could set up a computer center but I do not have hard assets which is I don't have a land I have a gold and stuff like that yeah. the banking institution should mm -hmm. be able to assess me through alternate data okay. right so with alternate data could be my phone usage my mobile bill payment or you could be my bank account which through which I could figure out, like, you know, is he paying electricity bill at the right time? Is he having maintenance simple? These alternate data points should help him get a loan without uh, risking his life, right? Today, I will be able to get a loan, like, like you know, HDFC ready-madely tells me whenever you open, saying, "Hey, sir, there is two lakhs. Whenever you can take with because I don't need it, right? I, I get keep getting salary, but HDFC keeps sending me that. But that's the kind of product he needs yeah, yeah. without asking much questions. He wants yeah. it." Because only when he has that, he'll be able to prove that, yeah, yeah. right? So that's what I mean by financial inclusion. The access and the choices and I have should be there for everybody. Uh, I was reading some articles on you know finance and things like that, and uh, there was like unequivocal uh, you know uh, thought about that how you know in fact women are uh, you know left behind in all of these things. Yeah. So when you did research, uh, what was your uh, you know some of the findings that you thought uh, about gender? Uh, let's say. Equality, or you know, just uh, women uh, leaving behind. 
be honest, I've been very, very moved by the story that I've actually gone and seen in entire three cities, right? So uh, these these women are very aspirational, very empathetic. Uh, nobody complains about the current situation. The entire family might be living in ten thousand rupee income or like fourteen thousand rupee income because most of these families they come from a patriarchal society, right? You know, there's only one family member earning. There are multiple chances where either the man of the family is not quote unquote fit to actually make take them to the next level, or they face some sort of a health crisis, or the the person could have passed away. They still have the aspirations to move forward, and that is why uh, when the self help groups are formed in uh, in the rural part, they actually make sure that only women come. Like there is no self help group concept in men, and that's called chit funds. That's that that happens in a private. in an unorganized manner but anything that happens through the government happens only with women and uh, why that happens is they have this uh, they bank on the the social connect right so essentially if uh, they there is a group borrowing that happens the group borrows like 1 lakh rupee let's say everybody gets 10000 even if one person fails to actually repay money per month or they have a five time period the entire group does not get a loan after that right so it, the the hypothesis it comes from mohammed yunus who started the grameen bank the com- hypothesis comes from the fact that you know women are much much more responsible because they thinking they uh, uh, because they thinking for the kids they thinking for the family they thinking far into the future yeah. right so in that way i have like really high hopes for mm-hmm. for most of these women to take this money and and uh, get into their entrepreneurial journeys into doing uh, but but when it comes to like say for example uh, some of the interviews that we have done where uh, women are very well like they have high relatively higher amount of disposable income uh, we have done like a proper series by itself like you know but today uh, if i if there is a couple right you know there is a married couple they have clear mental models of who is going to handle what right now uh, there is no point in actually pinpointing saying that a man does it women does it i'm not getting into that conversation but inside within a relationship there are people who say that you know i will handle finance and i will handle the other aspects of it right and some of the interviews where we talk about saying that they say that you know i know minimum about finance but my husband handles everything yeah that's that's the dynamics between that family and that is how it is it it it, it remains in lot of the some of the interviews that that we have done and that's that's what the so is uh, another uh, pointer to something that we we tried organizing a, a, a personal finance one on one for women mm-hmm. for all the Uh, kind of events we used to get like 150 200 registrations and i realized that most of them only men are coming like let's we made sure that only women will come yeah, yeah right and we did not get enough registrations and and uh, i had to like call some of my friends and saying hey come 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 and uh, everybody had their own reasons of why they were not interested right this is again goes back to financial awareness right so uh, like like it is also should be made important saying what does financial freedom mean to an individual you shouldn't be dependent on other people so like as much as we raise voices around equal pay equal wages i strongly believe there needs to be an equal amount of voice that is raised for saying that you know financial awareness what does that kind of freedom mean for women right? yeah. i this is my personal opinion we are not still there yet and hopefully we see uh, moving towards that path so i was moving uh, i was uh, reading about uh, demonetization uh, times and you know how impacts were and things like that from uh, the perspective of women again uh, and many of them had these habits of not really putting it in banks uh, so that yeah. was like some of the things that i you know uh, you know 
I thought about and uh, thought that you know because you've done so much of research, you would be able to you know talk about something. Uh, in that yeah, yeah, that they did. Like they, I mean, I haven't read read the story, but you know, a lot of people have told me. One of the huge people um, who were impacted by this housewives who were saving the smaller amounts of money yeah. without actually uh, being in the purview of the family. Right, you know, that is very common. And it is also common. Why? Because of the fact, not because you know the husband is going to drink or you know, it's it's just that if you come from a relatively low socio-economic background, having little extra money also means that you tend to spend on something which is quote-unquote luxury. It could be you could you could going to a cinema or you could buying sweets or getting chocolates for the kids and stuff like that. Uh, it's, it's actually the women in the family can say that you know you know what I don't need this expense. This expense can actually help in the future for something else, right? Which probably there will be discrepancy between the man and the woman, or like, yeah, other people in the family. So that's why they tend to save. Yeah, that was about all the financial inclusion questions and things, uh, thoughts that uh, you know I wanted to ask you about. Um, I want to ask you now a very general question in terms of you know how we perceive design. So there are a lot of definitions of what good design is, uh, and you know each one has their own. What is uh, your thoughts on good design? Okay. For me, good design is something which helps somebody do a certain action, goal, intent, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So uh, it's it's essentially for me it looks like tools that are built with an intent. Okay. Right. Now, uh, like like this laptop was built with the intent of helping communicate, and now it's helping me communicate. Mm -hmm. This I think is a good design. Right. Yeah. And I also believe that good design. I strongly believe in the aspect of good design being invisible. Uh, it should become a part of my life. It should become a part of my identity. Right? So I tend to uh, appreciate a lot design from a very utilitarian perspective. Different people have different aspects of it. Like even in some of like um, the design graduates, you see people tend to move more towards art. But I am somebody who moves more towards utility. Right. So that is why I really love this uh, monoblock chair, which is the plastic chair that we see every day, and that's one of the very famous design examples because. It's one chair uh, which uh, you see. It, it's it's found throughout the world. You could see it in the cafe in Paris to uh, a marriage hall in a small town in India. Because that that chair does not have a context. By just photographing the chair, you would not know where it was photographed. <laughs> so I really love design that that kind of blends with our life and which which just sits there, does the job what it's supposed to do without kind of screaming for the attention. Now I move towards the design inspirations, or what does uh, uh, you know inspires you as a designer? So you can go uh, if you have a clear uh, you know thoughts about what inspires you. Um, you can go ahead and answer that, or I'll ask you specific ones. <laughs> no, no. So uh, I have an alternate interest, which kind of uh, is where I look for parallels or for inspiration, which is essentially movies. Right? You know, I get inspired a lot from the when I say movies, it's not about consuming movies. It's about also how movies are being made, right? So I I read a lot about uh, how to write screenplays, how about directors uh, work. So if I'm watching even like starting from Christopher Nolan to a, a, a Tamil movie, I tend to watch the making of it. What? How did they conceive a particular scene, and how did this happen? So if you talk to me, like if you ever have like a design discussion with me, you see me drawing a lot of references from the movies world, right? So I think I think movies have been a heavy inspiration of of, of inspiring me because because that's also a form of storytelling. I I I I love how translating some of those emotions into uh, design. Right? For me, movies has been 
place where you look for inspiration. And any inspirational people, maybe from design, not from design, but who have inspired you, uh, you know, the things that you do or maybe just have so I, I actually look up to a lot of people outside uh, uh, design because design is actually a amalgamation of other, a lot of other fields, right? You know, then I started feeling that, you know, if I start looking for people outside design is where I will start uh, getting new ideas into design. So one of the person I really love is Muhammad Yunus, uh, who who started the Grameen Bank, who started the NTM Microfinance Revolution. The book that I read, uh, The Banker to the Poor, is somewhere inside my fintech journey when I started reading the book is where I said, oh, you know what, there's another whole new world of access to finance as opposed to designing for better financial services. Mm -hmm. That book changed, really changed my life. Uh, that's one person that I look up to. But other than that, I try to look up a lot of economists, journalists these days. Uh, one of the other person that, I, that I've been really in love with is Amit Verma, who's been doing the Seen and the Unseen podcast. Right? Um, yeah, so some of these people are the ones that I kind of look up to. I can't, like, the names don't strike me right now, but, but these are the kind of people that, that I kind of look up to. And uh, the last question that I'll ask you uh, for today is uh, some of the advice for young and budding designers. Also, <laughs> that's going to be a little difficult because I generally like, so one of the things that I, that I started understanding is uh, the more honest I am for myself yeah. is, is what makes me a unique designer as opposed to trying to fit in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, it took me a lot of time. I still, I think I'm in the journey where trying to be comfortable about your thoughts, comfortable about your feelings, comfortable about your body, appearance, shape, everything, right? Uh, I want to be who I am, right? And the more I tend to be who I am, I start attracting like-minded people. And that's all that matters for me, right? I'm not here to design something which the entire world is supposed to use. I am okay to design for a community, even if 10 people, it changes their life, if it impacts them a lot, I measure impact by that, not by the scale of it, but the depth of it. Yeah, right, so. Advice. That's what, try to find out who you are, like rather than uh, seeking out, like that's what even in research, uh, like I'm sure we've all gone through that process of saying that, you know, trying to find, look inside, is, is extremely important is what I believe, especially for a designer, researcher, whoever it is, being aware of our biases, where are we coming from, where does our thoughts come from, uh, articulating that is, is more important. That it, it's a process, it's a journey, it takes time, right? And, and, and uh, yeah, putting an effort to doing that itself is a good place to start. It takes time, yes, it does. Uh, and I think uh, most of our, uh, uh, you know, who have come on the show has been telling that that you know good things take time and don't get uh, you know afraid if you are somewhere stuck uh, so that has i think that's the recurring theme that i've seen uh, you know many of our guests have been saying um uh, but uh, today's um, episode was really uh, very educational it was on a very different note uh, on fintech uh, as you talk about the awareness seems to be not very high so uh, it was really nice, you know, uh, listening to you talking about the fintech industry and your thoughts and your, you know, uh, stories. It really inspired us. And uh, Dharmesh, for us uh, today, you were the uh, young, inspiring designer that, that uh, you know, we were looking up to and we will look up to for your work and we'll follow it, uh, uh, you know, uh, for years to come uh, and see, you know, what you uh, create uh, unique in this world. Um, for all the things uh, that you said and inspired uh, us today, we 
would like to just shower a small token of appreciation from our side and that's a seal that we give of inspiring young uh, young designer and title of that so thank, thank you, you. Uh, for coming thank you. bye take care bye